Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avinu Machinu, our Father and our King, Father, we praise you and thank you for giving us opportunity to gather together as Mishpacha's family on your holy Shabbat in holy convocation to be able to worship you, to glorify you, and to learn from you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that you will speak forth, that it be your words heard, your words received, and nothing of me involved except for your good and your glory. Father, open our hearts now. uh, Bring us to a, a place of humility to be able to receive from you. And Father, touch our hearts and our lives. Speak directly into our hearts that we're able to uh, to, to learn to be a better example of Yeshua in the world around us and learn to walk more fervently in the truth of your salvation that you have provided for us. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen. This week we are in Parsha Vayachanan. Um, from this Parsha we get the Shema, the Vayachavta, which we say every week in our services. In Judaism it's said uh, every morning and every evening uh, upon rising out of bed and, and just before laying back down in bed, as the prayer says, uh, to, to say it upon rising and upon uh, retiring again or laying down again. Um, and it's a very important part of who we are and uh, what Judaism is, what our desire in terms of our relationship with God is, and particularly our relationship with His Word as a leading, a guidance for our lives. And so today as we dig into uh, Parsha Echanan, um, there were a few things that really just stood out to me in a big and powerful way that all cohesively bring this Parsha together. Um, and it's something that I haven't, or I can't say I've necessarily noticed before um, until I was, I was digging through the Parsha this week and getting ready for this morning. Um, that's not to say that nobody else has noticed this before. It's not to say this is some new idea from God that nobody else has ever seen before. It's just something I haven't noticed before. Um, and uh, so I wanted to, to share with you this morning from where I feel the Lord is leading me uh, as it regards this Parsha. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy um, chapter 4. This week's Parsha begins with chapter 323, which is Moses again talking about how he wanted to go in the promised land and God wasn't going to let him and he begged and pleaded and, and so on with God, which is where we get the name of Ayachanan. I pleaded, I begged, um, and, uh, and God said, enough, you're not going to the land. Uh, anoint, um, anoint Joshua to take over leadership of Israel. He will be the one that will lead Israel into the promised land. Um, and then we roll right into chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to do uh, so that you may live and go in and possess the land that Adonai, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add to the word that I am commanding you or take away from it in order to keep the mitzvot of Adonai, your God, that I am commanding you. Your eyes have seen what Adonai did at Baal Peor. For Adonai, your God, has destroyed from among you everyone who followed Baal Peor. But you who held tight to Adonai, your God, are alive today, all of you. Right out the gate in chapter 4, we come across the beginning of this theme that flows through this Parsha. Uh, and it's verse 3, your eyes have seen what Adonai did. Um, throughout Israel's experience 
and the wilderness throughout Israel's journey, even today as we remember things like Pesach, Passover, Sukkot, and so on and so forth, as we're observing these feasts and festivals, even the Shabbat, one of the things that we are to do, uh, one of the things we constantly repeat is uh, talking about how our people physically experience the signs and wonders of God, right? When we talk about Yeshua and the Tamudim, the disciples in the Gospels and in Acts, we speak about how the people around physically saw the signs and wonders that God performed in their midst through these individuals. Uh, and so there's this concept that flows through Scripture that we see and that seeing is evidence of what God has done and will do, uh, and so on. And so as there's this evidence in the sight, another theme that rolls through this Parsha is this constant word Shema, hear, to, to hear. Not like my wife's talking uh, next to me in the car, and, and she'll be the first one to tell you this happens. My wife's talking to me next to me in the car, and uh, I have no clue she's saying anything. Um, not intentionally uh, ignoring her, but just my brain's not there, and I have to have her repeat it or something. Um, and even when she repeats it, I may not fully be uh, catching on to what she's saying. So we, we hear things, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, I know her voice is there. It's just for some reason I'm not hearing it. But then there's Shema, and Shema is not just to hear. It's to actually listen and do. It's a response kind of a concept. So when we Shema, when we, when we hear, like we say, Shema Israel, Adonai, Elohim, Adonai, God, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's not God saying, listen, I'm telling you something. That's God saying, hear and respond that I am the Lord your God, the Lord is one. All right? And so throughout this Parsha, we see God, uh, the, the word of God constantly saying something about vision, seeing what God has done. You saw what God did as he brought you out of Egypt. Hear, O oh God, uh, hear the Lord your God. Hear the words of God. Hear the command of God. And this concept flows throughout this Parsha over and over again. But as it does, one of the things that really stands out to me in verse 9, Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, it says, Only be watchful and watch over, and this is where it really first started hitting me, only be watchful and watch over your soul closely, so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and they slip from your heart all the days of your life. You are to make them known to your children and your children's children. The day that you stood before Adonai, your God, at Horeb, Adonai said to me, gather the people to me and I will make them hear my words so that they will uh, learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and see that they teach their children. Horeb and Mount Sinai, along with Horeb and Mount Sinai, we saw the presence of God, we heard the voice of God, right? So both seeing and hearing, both are evidence uh, factors in our faith. Both seeing and hearing are a part of this. Where it really gets interesting to me is that in, in the Hebrew here in verse 9, where it says, only be watchful and watch over your souls, this word is used twice, the root word is used twice. Uh, in verse 9, it's... Uh, Hashemer, the Chaushmor, which is uh, the, the, to, to uh, watch and be watchful, or be watchful and watch. But the root word is Shemar, which is also the same root word that we get the word Shomer. Shemar means to guard, to protect, to attend to, to take heed, to keep, to observe. And the reason this is so important to grasp is because, and you'll notice in other translations like the JPS, the Jewish Publication Society, Tanakh, this, is, uh, this word uh, shamar, the root word shamar is translated as heed. You are to heed the word of the Lord. Uh, other translations may say you're to guard. Uh, it's all the same concept, the same context. And so if, we, uh, if my wife were, were at home, she's going to do something, you know, she's heading out to the grocery store or something, she may go 
baby, I need you to watch the kids while I leave for a little bit and, and I'll be back. She doesn't mean literally stare at them. She doesn't mean let them run around and not pay attention. What she means is watch, guard, and protect them, right? Make sure they don't get hurt. Make sure they don't do anything that's going to be problematic. Make sure they don't do anything, as I'm sure my parents uh, meant when I was a kid. Make sure they don't do anything stupid. Because it's going to constantly do something. Just try and limit the stupidity that this kid does, which I'm pretty sure my parents said all the time. No, um, but he says, be watchful, uh, only be watchful and watch over your soul closely so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and they slip from your heart all the days of your life. And then he goes on to talk about what we heard at Horeb and Mount Sinai. So he says, be careful to watch over. The word shamar, guard, protect. And the reason that in the TLV, at least, they uh, chose to translate it to the word watch and be watchful is because the continuation of the context says to see what God, you have seen what God has done. Do not forget the things your eyes have seen and they slip from your heart. But it doesn't just happen here. In verse 9, we move on to... Verse 15 uh, says, Deuteronomy 4, verse 15, So be very watchful over your souls, since you saw no form on the day that Adonai spoke to you in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. So be watchful. Again, this root word is shamar, to guard, protect, uh, to attend to, to heed, to keep, to observe. Observe is also another way of saying watch, as well as to, like we say, we're, we're Torah observant. We honor the Torah, right? Um, as a matter of fact, in Orthodox custom, you would say, I'm Shomer Shabbos, which means I am a Shabbat observer. In other words, I'm Orthodox. I'm a, a keeper of the Shabbat, a keeper of the customs and the traditions and the laws of Judaism. So he says, so be very watchful to shamar over your souls. Again, that idea, watch over your souls. Since you saw no form on that day that Adonai spoke to you in Horeb at Sinai, out of the midst of the fire. And then he goes on again, and this is that context factor. So that you do not act corruptly and make for yourselves a graven image in the likeness of any figure, the form of a male or female, the form of a, any animal that is on the earth, the form of a, any winged bird that, the, that flies in the sky, and so on and so forth. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, and are drawn away and bow down and worship them. Adonai, your God, has allotted them to all the peoples under the heavens, but you, Adonai, has taken, and he brought you out for, of the iron fin, uh, furnace out of Egypt to be a people for his own inheritance as you are this day. So he says, Do, you've got to watch over your souls because you never saw a form of God. Right? We never saw a physical being. We saw the cloud and the cloud of his presence. We saw the lightning and so on. Uh, we saw the fire upon the mountain. But we never saw a physical presence, a physical form of God on the mountain. Right? And he says, so be careful. You didn't see a form. Watch over your soul so that you do not fall prey to idolatry. Well, what, what makes something an idol, right? We had a kid in our synagogue in Georgia that came up to me one day and goes, hey, I've got these really neat like figurines of, uh, of animals because I really like animals. And I've got these figurines of animals. But the question I have, the words is not to make a, a graven image of something. Does this mean that I'm breaking the word of God? Does this mean I'm sinning by having these, you know, he's got a little wood bear or whatever. Uh, and I asked him very simply, because the, the text over and over again says it along these lines. I asked him very simply, I said, well, when you look at them, do you worship those little figurines? He goes, well, no. He goes, that'd be stupid. I said, well, that's what the word says. Do not make a graven image so that you look upon it and worship it. So if you make a tiki, you know, what do they call the, the, uh, the tiki, the totem poles, right? Totem poles in and of themselves probably aren't so bad. 
uh, unless you're worshiping them. The problem with them, though, is they're an actual idol. Like, that's what their purpose was. But a bear, like a toy bear, or my mom, my, my, my mom's dad was a clown. And so my mom has this obsession with clowns. Uh, her father passed away uh, before her and my dad got married. And so my mom has this obsession with clowns because it's a way that she remembers her dad. And so has, she has all these clown, these, uh, clown figurines and stuff all over the place. As a matter of fact, I haven't seen them out in a few years. But she has them all over. The, she used to have this giant uh, uh, cabinet in the house that was stock full of like hundreds of them. Um, and in the right lighting, it could be really creepy. But... Uh, <laughs> But she had all these clowns, and it was a way that she could remember her father. But there wasn't this, this kind of notion of, oh, well, these are, these are my God now. The, you know, Israel made the golden calf, right? Graven image, and, and they said, this is the God who led us out of Egypt, right? That idol became an idol not just because of what it was, but because of what they did. They fell prey to worshiping a graven image of their own hand. And so here he says, be watch, very watchful over your souls since you saw no form on that day uh, that Adonai spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire so that you do not act corruptly and make yourselves graven images in the likeness of any figure. And then he goes on uh, down to verse 19 and are drawn away and bow down and worship them. Adonai, your God, has allotted them to all the peoples under the heavens, but you, Adonai, has taken, and he brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people for his own inheritance, as you are this day. Now again, this is the second generation of Israel, right? These are, this is not the generation that fell prey to uh, the golden calf. Now, some of them may have very well been old enough to, to be in that, but they weren't over 20 when that first count was done. But they weren't the generation that were held accountable for the golden calf. They're not the generation that was held accountable for denying the uh, entrance to the promised land. They're not the generation held accountable for the sins of their parents in terms of their journey. Instead, they're a generation that has only known reliance on God, right? The generation before them, the ones that all died in the wilderness, they knew reliance on Egypt. They knew reliance on their slave drivers, on their owners, on their, uh, the, the foremen. They knew reliance on Pharaoh, but they didn't actually know reliance on God. And we know this right out the gate because they get to the other side of the Yamsuk, the Sea of Reeds, right after God does all these signs and wonders and miracles. They get to the other side, and the first thing out their mouth is, we got nothing to eat and nothing to drink. Like, we had plenty of food back in Egypt. We had, it's not even six hours later since God... Uh, had the waters crash down upon, upon Pharaoh and you're crying out that there was more food back there? That God, you, you just watched all of this and you can't simply put your head around the fact that you're going, hey God, we're hungry. Could you give us something to eat? Right? Instead, we've got to grumble against God. The, there's no food. There's no water. We don't have anything to eat, nothing to drink. Why did you bring us out here to die? Couldn't we have died in Egypt just fine and had graves there with no concerns? Skipping to verse 23 of chapter 4. Watch yourselves so that you do not forget the covenant of Adonai your God, which he cut with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything that Adonai your God has forbidden you. And here again, the word that's translated watch is shamer. The root word is shamer. To guard, to protect, to observe, to uh, heed, to keep, to attend to. Um, this image keeps coming up three times in Deuteronomy 4 alone is this word uh, shamer used, this root word shamer used in terms of us guarding our soul, guarding our heart, and guarding our relationship in the covenant with God. And immediately following this comes the words, verse 24, for Adonai your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Why in the world, after saying shamer, guard your heart, so you don't make a graven image. Why, does, why did he feel necessary to say, for God is a consuming fire and a jealous God? 
right? I mean, by itself, it's a pretty powerful statement, right? I mean, it, it's, it's pretty fear-invoking. It's, it's easy to wrap our heads around the sentence by itself. But why was it so important for him to say it right there? Why didn't he say it earlier, a few verses back in chapter 4 when Shammar came up, or even before that, early on when Shammar came up? Why did he say it here? And the reason is because, as I said before, the, the cohesive theme throughout this Parsha is see and hear. You saw what God did, and you heard the voice of God speak, right? It's the cohesive theme throughout this entire Parsha. And so here he says, Do you, be watchful, guard your heart, protect your heart, your soul, so that you don't fall prey to idolatry. Why? Because God is an all-consuming fire. It's a way of striking Israel's rem- uh, memory so that they think back to Sinai again. Because at Sinai, what happened? The presence of God consumed Mount Sinai in fire. Yet the mountain didn't burn up. Consumed the mountain in fire, yet the mountain didn't, fire, didn't burn up. Nadab and Abihu run into the presence of God when they shouldn't have, and the fire of God consumes them in his jealousy. Over and over again, we see this image in Scripture. And so what God is saying here is he's saying, look, Guard your heart. Watch after yourself. Watch what's going on around you so you don't trip up and become like the nations around you, the nations that I've separated you from to be an example to them, not to want to live like them. And he goes, and just remember what you've seen and what you've heard and guard your heart. Protect yourself. Be cautious in what's going on. In chapter 5, we see another occurrence of the same exact phrasing. Chapter 5, verse uh, 29. says, so you must take care to do as Adonai your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. That phrase we're here where it's translated, you must take care to do. The word there is shamer. It's to protect, to guard. Actually, the, the full word is ushmartem. But the root word is shamer, to protect, to guard, to watch for, to observe, to oversee, to take care of, to heed, to attend to. So take, you must take care to do as Adonai your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. You are to walk in all the way that Adonai your God has commanded you so that you may live and it may be well with you and you may protect, uh, prolong your days in the land you will possess. And so over and over again, this concept comes up. But there's another thing that pops up here in chapter 5 that I think is of utmost importance. Anybody know what it is? What do we reread in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy? The Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. But there's something different about it this time around than there was last time. All right? Pay attention. First, he says, Moses called to all Israel and said to them, this is 5 verse 1, Moses called to all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances that I am speaking in your hearing today. Learn them and make sure to do them. Adonai, your God, cut a covenant with us at Horeb at Mount Sinai, not with our fathers. Has, he, has Adonai cut this covenant, but with us, all of us alive here today? He says this covenant wasn't just with them. He's made this covenant with all of us. And as we move through Deuteronomy later on in the blessings and curses, he says, this is for you and all of the generations that follow you. 
Adonai spoke with you uh, face to face, panim panim, uh, face to face on the mountain from the, the midst of the fire. I was standing between Adonai and you at that time to tell you the word of Adonai because you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up on the mountain. He said, and then the first command, I am Adonai your God uh, who brought you out, of, out from the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. But we skip down actually, I want to go to the fourth command in, in uh, Numbers a, uh, I'm sorry, in Exodus where the Aseret had the broader list of this is the fourth command. Here it's the fourth command. It's also the, when people say keep the Ten Commandments, they don't really mean all ten. They, they really just mean nine of them. They don't care about the fourth one, right? Um, so here, verse 12, he says, Observe Yom Shabbat to keep it holy as Adonai your God commanded you. Where this gets interesting is in Exodus when this comes up. In Exodus, it says, Zehor, remember the Shabbat. Here in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, it says, Shamar, observe, guard, protect Yom, Yom Shabbat, the day of Shabbat, to keep it holy as Adonai, your God, commanded you. And then it goes on, six days you are to labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to Adonai, your God. In it, you are not to do any work, not you or your son or your daughter, your slave, your male, your uh, ox, your slave, your maid, your ox your donkey or any of the livestock or the outsider within your gates so that your slave and your maid may rest as you do. You must remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. And here's where it changes. In Exodus, where he says, Zahor, remember the Shabbat, he links it to creation. Here in Deuteronomy, this is a new generation. This generation didn't experience everything that their forefathers experienced coming out of, the, out of Egypt preparing for the promised land. As a matter of fact, many of the same miracles are replicated in Joshua. The Yom Suf splits apart, the Sea of Reeds splits apart, and they walk on dry, dry ground. In Joshua, the, the Yarden, the Jordan River splits apart, and they walk through on dry ground. Second generation experiencing some of the same miracles. But he says in verse 15, you must remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Adonai your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, Adonai, your God commanded you to keep Yom Shabbat. So in Exodus, it was Zechor, remember, and linked to creation. Here, it is observe, shamar, guard, observe, protect. And it's linked to slavery, being brought out of slavery into freedom. I always find it funny when Scripture words something along the lines of observe, uh, uh, guard, shamar, keep, and freedom. Because in the rest of the body of Messiah, those two terms don't fit. They don't mesh. They don't work together. You can't honor the word, the, the, the Torah. I won't say the entire word of God because things get complicated. But in the rest of the world, you can't honor the Torah and still walk in freedom and still walk in grace. The two don't mesh. Theologically, the, 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 the ideology has been developed that the two don't mesh. But here in this one passage, God says, observe, keep, honor, uh, uh, guard this, this Yom Shabbat, the holy day of Shabbat, and do so because you're remembering the freedom God has given you from slavery, right? And the beauty of Pesach, of Passover, of that Passover sacrifice, the Passover lamb, was that God gave us freedom from death as a foreshadowing of the freedom from eternal death that God was giving us, the freedom from sin that God was giving us through Messiah. And so here, not only is it a reminder of the, the freedom from slavery in Egypt that we were commanded or that we were brought out of by the strong hand of God, but it's also a foreshadowing of, and today as we honor Shabbat, it's a memorial of 
the freedom from slavery to sin that Yeshua has brought us and his sacrifice for our lives. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 12, I'm sorry, 6, verse 8, you'll notice in, in Deuteronomy 6, we're dealing with the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Oheno, Adonai, Echad, Hear us well, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, uh, and the Vahafta, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and so on. But in verse 8, it says, bind them as a sign on your hand, they are to be frontless between your eyes. In traditional Judaism, Orthodox Judaism today, uh, we wear a, uh, a set of tefillin. Uh, the tefillin are uh, phylacteries, are these leather straps with little boxes that have this, this passage description, a few others, written on a scroll inside of it, and you wrap it around your arm, and you put it on your forehead, uh, and you use that in the mornings when you're praying the shahri prayers. Um, and so it's a very uh, kind of a physical means, a physical effort at trying to observe this command. It's where we get the mezuzot from, the, the mezuzah, the, the little casing on the door frame that has this same passage and a few other passages related to it uh, written on the scroll inside of it uh, where it says to write the, these words upon the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. It's where the mezuzot, the mezuzah comes from. Uh, but I actually think that this goes a step further. There's nothing wrong with trying to physically uh, reenact this command, but I think what God's wanting is something a little deeper, something a little more in-depth. Um, and uh, how many of you try to read your Bible on a regular basis? I'll put you on the spot here. I hope every hand goes up. Uh, when we read our Bible, how do we typically read it? I mean, some of us may be sitting at the dinner table or at the coffee house or something that's on the table in front of us. But typically, when you're, holding, you're reading your Bible, how are you reading it? Kind of holding it in your hand, right? And it's right before your eyes. So the Word says that you are to have it as a frontlet between your eyes. And the idea, I believe, what God is really getting at isn't just wrapping tefillin while we're praying or putting a mezuzah on the door to remind us as we go and come from our doorframe, but it's also to remind us to be in his word, always. And so when we have his word, it's on our forearm. It's before our forehead. It's before our eyes. And there's this image there that goes back to see and hear and the connection that it has with what we're saying here. And one, time, one more time in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 12, does that, that same concept of Shammar come up. In verse 12, it says, Then watch yourself so that you do not forget Adonai who brought you out from the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. Again, there's that Shammar, watch, guard, protect. And this idea is that God is calling us as a people, not just Israel in days of old, but spiritual Israel made up of both Jew and non-Jew alike who were bought by the blood of the Lamb. And I believe it's even more important for us today than it was for the second generation of the Israelites coming out of Egypt preparing to go into the promised land. All right? I believe it's even more important for us today to hold this concept. God is commanding us to guard our hearts, to guard our soul. Why? Because we've seen and we have heard and we have re received what God has done. We have experienced salvation. We have experienced the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit in our lives. We see and hear the presence of God. We receive the voice of God when he speaks forth into our hearts and our lives. But at the same time, there's still a world around us. Later on in the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy, God tells Israel, you are to not be like the nations around you. But he says there will come a time where you're going to look at the nations around you and you're going to want to be like them. 
which is the number one thing the Word of God is calling us to not do, is to want to be like the nations around us. In the body of Messiah today, we really don't hold true to this concept. In the body of Messiah today, we are so eager to not want to be the outsider, to not want to be viewed as being strange or different or, or odd. I mean, I don't know how many in here try to keep kosher or not, but me, when, when I'm somewhere and, and the, you know, like I've gone to, to speak at churches and they have a meal afterwards or whatever, and they're like, hey, you know, we have this beautiful pork roast or something, or like, this is, we made this for you. I'm like, you didn't make it for me, and if you did, sorry. Um, but you have to be that weirdo, right? You have to be that one that stands out, and nobody wants to be that, especially today, right? Being nonconformist is a problem in society today. Society today wants conformity, right? Everybody should wear skinny jeans and weird hats. Um, oh, wait, those are people that are trying to be nonconformity too, right? But they're all conforming together. Um, the, the, the reality, though, is, is that we're called to be set apart, different, righteous, and holy for one specific reason, so that the nations around us will see us and want what we have. The problem is, is far too often as believers, we take on the mindset of Israel who asks for a king by saying, the nations around us all have a king, so we want a king to be like them. We already have a king. We've already got a king. Adonai Zavot is our king. We don't need to seek acceptance anywhere else because we've already been accepted by the God of all creation. We don't need to strive to be like anyone but Yeshua. Why? So that when people look at us, they want what we have. But the enemy is going to constantly try and lure us away. And this is why I believe it's so important that throughout the word, Paul deals with it. Guard your heart. In Timothy, he tells Timothy, look, you've got all these strengths and talents and gifts, but guard your heart. Protect your soul so that you are not led astray. In Hebrews, we've been talking about this in our Bible study. In Hebrews, there's five different times in the book of Hebrews that the author of Hebrews warns the believers in Hebrews uh, that he's writing to in Hebrews, warns them not to be led astray, not to fall away, not to lose their salvation, walk away from their salvation. Paul says over and over again to guard our hearts, to guard our souls. Yeshua says we're to protect our hearts and our souls. We're to rely on him for strength. Over and over again in the scriptures, there's this concept of guarding our hearts and our souls to be shamer, to be protective. Why? Because the blood of the lamb is upon us. We have been given freedom so that the world around us will look at us and want what we have. But if all they see is themselves, if all they see is a mirror image of themselves, then we're failing. We are not shamer. We are not guarding our hearts and our souls. I don't know about you, in my life, I've seen miracles of God. I'm alive today because of God's protective hand. I should have died numerous times. When I was a kid, I think it may have been before my brother was born, but when I was a kid, uh, I was diagnosed with asthma so severe that if I walked out the front door, I would likely die. They thought I probably had a hole in my lung at the exact same time. They found a spot that they were trying to figure out. They thought it was a hole in my lung, and I had bronchitis, a real severe case of bronchitis at the same time. And the doctors said I likely was not going to live very long if things didn't change and they didn't go in, rush in, and do procedures. 
but my family turned to prayer. Now, that doesn't mean we also weren't concerned with what the doctor said. They kept taking me back to the doctor too, but we turned to prayer. And the next time I went back to the doctor and they were trying to, to figure out a prognosis, what they were going to do from there, uh, the, they couldn't find anything. No asthma, no bronchitis, no spot on my lung, no nothing. Healed completely. I've been in car accidents that there's no explanation for me walking away from at all, at all, except the hand of God. It's dumbfounding. Uh, last year, I was leaving our house, coming to synagogue on a Saturday morning, and we live in Loxley. Um, I was pulling, actually, Maven earlier this year, and I was on 64, trying to cross over 59. I'm at the light, and normally, I'm on my bike. Normally, when the light turns green, I take off, right? I mean, who doesn't do that? Light turns green, I take off. Well, I'm at the light. Uh, light turns green. I start to roll, and then just for whatever reason, I laid back for a second. I still don't know what, like, where the concept came from. I'm just... I start to roll and I lay off the throttle, pull the brake for a second. No sooner do I come to a complete stop than a car just beams through the red light. And had I taken off like normal, I'd have been creamed and killed without a doubt. I mean, he had to have been doing 50, 60, 70 miles an hour going through that intersection at a red light. But by the grace of God, I had some inclination, I believe, from his leading to lay off the throttle and to stand still. And I'm still walking and alive today and riding my motorcycle. Um, over and over again in my life, I've seen things like this. My family has one of the coolest Holocaust surviving stories in the world. Ask me later, I'll tell you about it. But has one of the coolest Holocaust survival stories in the world by the grace of God and entirely by the grace of God. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here. The reality is, is we serve a God who has a very distinct purpose for our lives on an individual basis and a communal basis. And as such, it's of the utmost importance that we guard our hearts. Part of guarding our hearts is being in his word, being in relationship with him, communing with him in prayer, fasting from time to time. I'm not a big fan of that one, but it is important. I force myself to do it from here and there. Being in prayer and unity with others. It's important to be in these places. And one of the things that God's really been working on our, our, our congregation about, I think, for the last week or two, last week or two, is a major part of that is repentance. Because who in this room has never in their last couple of weeks sinned? Nobody, right? Well, if we're sinning, that means we need to repent, right? In order to guard our hearts further, we've already let uh, something in. We've already let the guard down and sin crept in. In order to repent of sin or in order to put that guard back up, we have to repent of sin. It's a part of the relationship with God, a continual repentance to, to die and be reborn daily, a continual repentance. And a lot of times we won't even realize the need for that repentance because we're so buried in our own ways. We're so far removed from a right relationship with God in terms of actually communing with him and his word and in prayer. We've managed to shut down our receptors. We know we heard God at Sinai, but we don't really care about hearing him right now. Because if we hear him now, he's going to correct us and then we have to admit we were wrong and even though being wrong is so much fun, we have to correct it. 
not to know. Love the kid with all my heart. But he gets to where, he's five years old, he gets to these points where he's playing so hard that he actually forgets that when you feel like you have to pee, that you need to go to the bathroom. And later on, he'll come out and he'll go, Daddy, I accidentally peed on myself. I'm like, well, did you know you had to go to the bathroom? Did you feel like you had to? Yeah, so why didn't you go? I didn't want to stop. The reality is, is we get in this place where unless God's smacking us on the butt, we're not going to want to stop. Right? Sometimes it's fun to be wrong. It doesn't mean it's right. Hence the reason why it's wrong. Sometimes it's fun to be wrong. And the enemy likes to go, but see how much fun you had when you did that? Wouldn't you want to just have that fun one more time? How about, how about one more time? Okay, you can fit one more time in, right? God says, guard your heart because all it takes is one time for us to slip out of relationship, out of covenantal relationship with him. I think as believers in closing, I think as believers... We don't like the reality of that word covenant because there's weight that goes with that. There's heavy weight that goes with that concept of covenant. It's more than just, I said a repetitive prayer after the pastor or the rabbi. It's more than, I was watching Franklin Graham on TV and he led me in the sinner's prayer and now I'm good to go. It's more than my parents were believers. My parents went to a Baptist church, so I'm Baptist. We have to make a choice. We have to choose to walk in his ways. Every day when we wake up, we have to make the choice that we're going to walk in right relationship, covenantal relationship with him. I'm married. There's a covenant in marriage, right? To death do us part. Till death, whatever that word is till death do us part there's a covenant that goes into that and every day and whether we like to admit it or not every day when we wake up we have to make a choice to work at making our marriage even better or some days to make a choice not to do something stupid to make it worse i don't know sometimes those days happen too but we make a choice to work in that covenantal relationship to remain in that covenantal relationship Guess what God says the body of Messiah is? The bride of Messiah. We are in a covenantal married relationship with God. Sinai was a wedding ceremony. The presence of God over the mountain over Israel was a chuppah over the nation of Israel. It was a marriage ceremony. The Aseret Hadzibrot, the ten words, were a ketubah that the nation of Israel signed. And as part of spiritual Israel, we are attached to that same covenant in relationship with marriage with our Heavenly Father. We are in the betrothal period now, awaiting our groom to return to take us back into Him. To say, I've prepared everything. It is just the way it's supposed to be. But as that bride awaiting that betrothal period to come to an end, awaiting that groom to return to take us home, we have to constantly be prepared because we don't know when it is. Yeshua said, only the Father knows the hour. That's not to say that, that Yeshua isn't God and doesn't know the answer. 
What he's saying, because it's connected to that marriage uh, ceremony, the Jewish marriage ceremony, and, and, and there's a betrothal process, which is an actual marriage. You are now married. And then the groom would leave and go and prepare a home, and he wasn't allowed to go back and get his bride until his father tells him everything is ready. He had to make sure he had a home. He had to make sure he had finances saved up because in Jewish customs, especially of those days, of biblical days, Jewish custom was for the entire first year of the marriage, the husband didn't work. They spent the entire first year together getting to know each other, learning to love each other, learning to live together, learning who sits in what seat on the couch. Um, but... <laughs> But the word, Yeshua says, only the Father knows when. Why? Not because he's not God and doesn't know, but because the Father is the one that says everything is ready. Everything is prepared for the bridegroom. Go back and get your bride. Only the Father makes that statement. So Yeshua, as the Son, as the bridegroom, is saying, when the Heavenly Father says it's time, it's time. Until then, you keep yourself prepared. You keep yourself ready, and part of that keeping ourselves ready is being guarded of our hearts and our souls because the enemy wants to destroy us and to make sure we are not ready and to make sure when Messiah returns that we burn in hell with him for all eternity. He wants to take as much of God's creation with him as possible. Yeshua says, even some of the elect will be led astray. You ever thought about that before? So throughout this Parsha, the continual cohesive theme, that, that string that brings everything together is that we have seen and we have heard the things that God has done for us. And now it's our responsibility to guard and protect our hearts, to watch ourselves, to watch our souls, to be watchful over our souls so that we are not led astray into the ways of the world around us. But that instead they see God in us and want what we have. Av Rachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We glorify you, Father. We thank you for putting responsibility in our court to walk faithfully with you. And we thank you, Father, above all else, that you have given us your Ruach HaKodesh for us to follow in that faithful walk. I pray that you continue to soften our hearts with humility, that you draw us daily into repentance, not just in lifting up praise and adoration, but in laying our hearts out before you, asking you to pick it apart and to take out all of the bad things that are in the way of a whole relationship with you. Make us more like Yeshua. Make us more in the image and likeness of our Creator. Father, teach us to guard our hearts, to watch after our souls, to protect ourselves from the, the attack of the enemy. Teach us to rely on your Ruach HaKodesh, on your Holy Spirit, in daily commune. so that the enemy has no foothold, no ground in our life. Teach us to recognize that we have but one king and we have but one heavenly groom. Father, we thank you for your word. 
and for the importance of the role of your word in our life as believers. And we ask you to continue to reveal yourself more to us through it. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.